This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. But Warthog, he's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. <laughs> Help me! Help! Help! All right, welcome, welcome, welcome to the Ward Scott Files. Professor Ward Scott here with you on a rainy day. And uh, in the Warthog Manly Command Center inside the Melton Law Studio in the piney uh, pollinated woods of north central Florida. But hopefully we're getting enough rain now to dissipate that somewhat. I don't tired of seeing uh, windshield wiper blades wash fresh pollen off every morning. And maybe we're reaching that uh, place. Um, so anyway, that's the way nature works. The hummingbirds are back. <laughs> My wife exclaimed excitedly yesterday, the hummingbirds are back. And, uh, they, you know, they fly from way down uh, in Mexico and they come back and darn it, they don't remember where the food is. And they came right back looking and they were buzzing around there looking for food. So guess what? There's now hummingbird food out again. And I think and I'm going to I'm gonna have to be confirm this because it makes my head swim. Maybe production can nod. I'm right or wrong. Do we yet once again this Weekend change the time. Have I got that right? Huh? Somebody out there in Lister Viewerland, tell me, have I got that right? I just got used to Eastern Standard Time. What is going on? Well, surprisingly, somebody tipped me off to that, or I never would have known it. Of course, in the Manly Cave here, the Warthog Man Cave Command Center. I lose track of time, and uh, there's yeah, and, and um, Plantation Mark and his group says yes, it, we do change. And Don Mark says that we're correct. Oh my golly! No wonder I'm confused. Well, it will take me. I will just get used to the change of time. When we will have to change it again. So there we are. That's the, a confession on my part. I just, I just, uh, I just don't know what we do that for anymore. Once upon a time, it was to help the little children work on the farm. Uh, we don't have farms anymore, any, as I, as far as I can tell. Well, except here, um, I got to talk a little bit of positive stuff before we get into the world, which is always a messy place. Uh, our women's basketball coach Kelly Ray Finley is no longer an interim. She's fine, signed a five-year deal. I think I uh, hinted at that the other day. Uh, it will re eventually reach um, about three quarters of a million dollars annually. And uh, she's going to be starting out with a base salary of about a half a million. And uh, she's going to receive all these incentives that uh, people in her position get. Uh, college presidents get them and CEOs get them. And basically, you can look at it this way. She's the CEO of basketball for women. And she's the most exciting um, basketball coach we've had for the women here in quite some time. So the uh, college obviously believes that she can help put us in the uh, 
Marquis Starlight. She's already done it by uh, winning 20 games, was the first time that's been done here at the University of Florida for a while. If ever, I don't know how far back we can go, but basically the women's program started in the mid-70s, the basketball program. So it's, um, it's a good 25 years or more, 50. Geez, I lose track of how to count. Uh, if you start in 76 or 77, let's round it off. That's 25 years. Let's round it up here, 22. You've almost got 50 years. So I don't know where that time went. I just blinked and there it was. Um, she uh, is also the Atlanta Tip-Off Club has announced that she's one of the 10 semifinalists for the Naismith Coach of the Year Award. Um, she's now, even with her pay, she's the ninth highest paid coach in the SEC. <clears throat> so, but the SEC coaches, uh, the other ones, particularly South Carolina and those ladies, have been around for a while and built their brand and their program. So um, eventually, perhaps you'll get up to snuff with them. But nevertheless, I'm sure she's happy uh, having been finally declared the coach. Um, she's along uh, with some other people. Uh, up for this tip-off club award, as I said, and she's uh, won 20 games with the Gators. Um, the next thing that's going to happen for the Lady Gator basketball team is they will find themselves in the NCAA tournament um, for the first time since 2015-16, so that's about six years ago. And uh, the, uh, they'll, they'll know Sunday at 8 p.m. Uh, uh, where they'll be and who they'll be playing um, and that'll be, of course, exciting. We do have a couple of injuries that are really hurt the team. Kiki Smith was injured. I doubt she'll be back, judging from what I saw with her injury, which was on crutches, uh, with the knee. Uh, those things don't lend themselves to uh, two or three week healings. Um, but what do I know? I'm not the MD, but I do know about injuries. And uh, um, that doesn't look as if she'll be back. Um, we have um, got, uh, you know, a big, big hole in the lineup without her. Uh, uh, this Alberte Rimdell, who is a, uh, from Denmark, she uh, picked up SEC postseason numbers on, uh, on her. She's all SEC all-freshman team. And um, she's a quick, um, quick um, uh, on, the, on the court and uh, a very streaky shooter right now. The thing if I would do with, with her is I would work on her shooting I know what's wrong with it. Um, one of the things I could do was shoot. Uh, I was at one point on the basketball team referred to as, Yo, are you ready for this? Old dead eye. But, you know, I played hours and hours and hours and hours of street basketball, pick up basketball with anybody who'd come to the courts. And, you know, you just learn to play the game by playing hours and hours of game. And, of course, watching the good uh, players and imitating what they did well. Uh, but uh, it's all in the wrist and the flop of the wrist at the top of the arc. As, as, I, I'm, as far as I'm concerned, I went out here to the mall one time and they had a free throw shooting thing. And I sank 10 out of 10 shots. I don't know what I won, bag of popcorn or something. But anyway, I'd uh, like to see um, that happen. Uh, we got a viewer here, Doug Whitaker from Mexico, I think who once upon a time maybe coached the girls basketball team way back when. I don't know. I'm, I'm losing it back, going back that far. But anyway, give a shout out to him. He's a faithful viewer and follower of the show. And I know he's been following, as I have, women's basketball for quite some time at the University of Florida. Uh, sadly, to report, Clinton Portis has reported uh, to Edgefield 
Federal Correction Institute, which is, uh, I think, just outside of Augusta uh, in Georgia. He uh, has got a registration number. His release date is unknown. Uh, it's a sad story for a guy who once had a $45 million contract with Washington No Names. And then they tried to keep him along by making him a sideline announcer for the team. Uh, but he just couldn't fend off all of his debts he occurred uh, in his lifestyle, which was largely irresponsible and involved a lot of gambling, as I understand it. And he owed Las Vegas a lot of money. And that's never a good situation when you owe them money because they don't lose. So um, <clears throat> I had to report that's a follow-up story. Uh, the the uh, 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 couple of other things that I want to get into here that are local that I want to comment on because people say that they appreciate my interpretation of some of the local things. Um, of course, I've been involved politically locally and managed campaigns, run for campaigns, been managers of cities and that sort of thing. Uh, been on economic committees a whole bit, been a Senate president, um, you know, all that sort of thing. So I've got a pretty good uh, political experience, even though I didn't go looking for it. I don't know how I came my way. It was just something that happened, I guess. But there is a bill that's working its way through Tallahassee right now that um, I've checked with our local sheriff, uh, Sheriff Clovis Watson Jr., and he is for this bill as he thinks all the other 66 sheriffs of the counties are too. And it's always been a perplexing situation to realize that the um, sheriff is a charter officer, but the county commission meddles with their budget all the time. And there's a lot of political infighting and hostility that exists uh, because you see law enforcement, if it's doing its job properly, is you know taking the bad guys off the street. And the, the county commission, let's just use the local one here, is a bunch of liberals who think there's no such thing as bad guys. There were just bad circumstances. Uh, these guys' character doesn't, you know, it's they got nothing to do with their behavior. Um, you know, you know, they can't therefore be held responsible for anything they did do. Uh, we shouldn't have any laws to lock them up. Uh, we shouldn't publish mug shots. We shouldn't do background checks. Because after all, everybody's just as pure as a driven snow. Uh, it's just some background things that maybe were circumstantial that those things should really be blamed. You know, maybe he didn't have daddy at home and uh, this and that, but that's okay. You know, daddy at home might've made the problem worse. And then you hear all this crap. And so what you have, and we have listened in on many uh, in the meetings, before the meetings, conversations by the county commissioners uh, and their attitude toward the sheriff's. Uh, Mike Barley, particularly, I mean, I, I would say downright despised uh, uh, Sadie Darnell when she was a sheriff because she got more publicity in the paper than the county commission did. I heard him say it. And of course, the real thing that started, if you will, I'll tell you a little background here that started the Ward Scott files. The Ward Scott files started as the Ward Scott fraud files. And those of you who have institutional legendary memory around here remember this well. Uh, there is a picture, I think it's been taken down, when every single human being in the packed Alachua County uh, uh, Commission chamber, the Jack Durrance Auditorium, was wearing a Ward Scott Fraud Files t-shirt. Uh, it's an amazing thing. I've looked for it. I think it's been taken down. Uh, at least I haven't found it yet. It was, fan it was unbelievable. And the way that started, the way I got involved in this kind of thing I'm doing in the first place was um, 
we 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 had to have uh, you know a, a division of candidates, if you will, and always talking about diversity and all that business. So we hadn't had any Republican candidates for the county commission, and I ferreted out and found in a charter review commission meeting uh, a, a, a young lady sitting in the back of the room who I had seen at the meetings, and at, at some point we. Uh, I found ourselves sitting next to each other and I introduced myself and she says, oh, you're the Ward Scott whose name I see on all these documents. Now, this would have been uh, 10 years ago, at least. So maybe 12 now, probably 12 years ago. And I said, well, that was that was that impressed me because how many people actually read the documents? As we talked with uh, Representative Kamek yesterday, how many people actually read the bills? And so I struck up a conversation with her and found her to be very knowledgeable, very involved, and uh, wondered who she was. And she said her name was Sue Baird. And I said, well, told her my name and uh, said, very nice to meet you and um, appreciate you being here for this single member district discussion. And that was it. Well, back then we had the tea party that was very powerful um, and um, had a lot of people involved in it. It was... Uh, a good, strong group of people who could organize and, and uh, help candidates. And so there was a meeting that nobody much knows about here. And I met with two other people uh, and who were desperate to find, uh, let's say this power brokers in the background in this county, who were desperate to find a candidate to run against Cynthia Chestnut. And uh, uh, it was it was felt then that Cynthia Chestnut was invincible, uh, that she really could not be um, defeated. But she had done a, she had done a fatal error. Uh, and this is all related to this budget with the sheriffs. Uh, the, 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 the county commission was in an argument trying to micromanage uh, the sheriffs at that time. It was Sadie Darnell. Mind you, these are all Democrats. Um, and, and so the county commission was trying to micromanage uh, the sheriff's budget. And the sheriff had come um, with uh, her entire entourage and, and uh, budget directors and all the bit to discuss this uh, with uh, things and received a cold shoulder and had been waited, uh, asked to wait seven hours and all that stuff. And, and uh, deliberately by the county commission, deliberately by uh, uh, Chestnut as kind of a form of punishment for how dare you question the county commission. And so um, there was some reason to believe that therefore she was vulnerable. And um, so I said, I think I know somebody who can maybe we can run. And this is Sue Baird, whom I met the other day. And uh, they said, well, if you'll manage her, we'll support her. That came from the head of the Tea Party. And, and so I approached her. I said, hey, you know, we think we can get you competitive and get you ready to take on a seat on the county commission uh, uh, and, and it's Cynthia Chestnut's seat. And um, the reply we got, I got personally from uh, Sue Baird was that, geez, I'd like to get involved in politics, but I'm not ready right now. And I said, well, listen, let me tell you how politics works. There are very rare opportunities in politics. And it's not so much when you're ready. It's when those opportunities are available that you need to, so they, they don't, they close quite quickly. So we, one thing led to another, we talked her into running and we won. We defeated Cynthia Chestnut and uh, 
it was it was an amazing uh, defeat. Uh, Cynthia Chestnut threw Channel 20 out of her what was to, taken for granted is going to be her victory party. Uh, Channel 20 came to our victory party and said, we just got thrown out of Cynthia Chestnut's victory party. And we said, well, that doesn't surprise us. You know, you're seeing the real Cynthia Chestnut. So uh, uh, she also had made the sheriff wait. So uh, this is all about these budgets and these arguments these commissioners can do politically to their own kind. These were all Democrats arguing. So we got a Republican in that seat. We got Sue Baird in that seat. And then from that point on, it became pretty clear uh, that they were also having meetings before the meetings where the commissioners were basically making up their mind how they were going to vote. And in the public meeting was just a ruse. It was just charades. It was just a theater. And that started the Ward Scott fraud files because I began to investigate that. And I found that this had been going on for quite a while, uh, that there were recordings of these meetings before the meetings, that they were kept by the clerk of the court. And that began to get them and listen to them. And then uh, the radio station picked them up and said, we need you here on the air to explain these. And that's how I got into what I'm doing now. Um, so it, I really came in off of, 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 of a dispute about who handles the money. And so evidently now with HB3, what has happened is uh, it's probably going to make it through uh, the, the House and the Senate. The Senate has already uh, supported giving the county sheriffs more leeway with their budgets. It's called HB3. It's going to be a priority for Governor DeSantis, uh, likely receive a vote Thursday today from the Senate. Then it would go back to the House. And the House members voted 108 to 4 uh, last month uh, to approve the initial version of the measure. So uh, the uh, Republican, the Senate is dominated by Republicans. They approved this. And what this would do would allow sheriffs to transfer money within their budgets after the spending plans have been approved by county commissions. And right now, what um, is, is, is a problem, well, uh, the sheriffs have to go back to the county commissions and say, well, I, I didn't anticipate this need. I didn't see it coming. Uh, let's say, you know, anything comes up, uh, uh, a storm comes up or things that all of a sudden you need to require your, your you as a budget CEO of that, that, that particular operation, the sheriff's office, which is a charter office. Um, uh, and, and it means it's independent of the county commission uh, uh, rule, except for this budget glitch. Um, you know, they have to come back and ask for the county commission to approve. Meanwhile, Rome could be burning and you need the money right away. And there are things that happen every day in the sheriff's world that nobody knows or predict will happen. Um, and that's what's really spearheaded the amendment. Um, this has been... Uh, uh, gives the sheriff more spending flexibility during emergencies, and it would reduce local government oversight of the sheriff's budgets. And here is where, why would you let some of these people on this current county commission uh, have anything to do with a law enforcement budget? Uh, and I've got a couple in mind that I think are just absolutely at up with, um, um, I don't, I don't want to call them dumb or anything like that, but their, their priorities and what they think is important as a county commissioner to think about is all wacko. It means just completely wacko. And they came into the office that way. And they'll leave the office that way. They came in wackos and they'll leave wackos. And, and, and so 
what, what I can tell, the sheriffs are all for this. The local sheriff is for it. And um, this has been a big legal battle here in Alachua County. Uh, Darnell, as we say, tried to shift money with her budget. She got beat up uh, by the county commission and humiliated by Cynthia Chestnut, uh, whom at that time I think was the chair. Uh, and uh, um, that has led to this kind of frustration and it has gotten now to the uh, light of day. And uh, uh, the, uh, the bill also would provide a one-time payment for up to $5,000 to newly employed law enforcement officers along with bonuses for officers who adopt children. So it's not all, it would also create a Florida Law Enforcement Academy scholarship program to cover the basic training tuition and fees for new officers. Um, you know, I, I think it's gonna pass. I think it should pass. I think something needs to rein these county commissioners in. Um, they are not qualified um, to do a lot of the things that they do. And uh, um, it's, it's, um, it, it's uh, time that we had some, some, now they'll cry foul, they'll cry, oh, you know, home rule, they'll use all the things, but they don't mind stepping on the home rule of the municipal governments in Alachua County. And those are independent, have their own home rule. And uh, that Growth Management Act did just that. And we would have stopped that Growth Management Act had it not been for the lethargy and indifference of the city of Alachua mayor, in my humble opinion. So um, um, that, that's one thing that I wanted to report on you that's local. It's very, very important. Uh, you may not know it or have it in your radar, but it's a, it is a very important thing. Um, the other thing is I got to talk about this sister city crap for a minute uh, where it came out in the Gainesville sunset uh, that, oh, mayor, uh, a boy named Lauren was all teary eyed about uh, um, this uh, sister city in Russia. Novoroskas, I guess, is the way you say it, um, you know, and um, so they want to keep this um, relationship. They want to acknowledge this relationship for the U.S.-Soviet Union sister city relationship in the nation here. And of course, this is uh, Gainesville's sister city. Let me tell you my history on the sister city stuff, why I think it's a bunch of crap uh, or can be. It started in 1982. And I knew the commissioners very well in 1982. Of course, I've all, most of the time known all of them, unfortunately. And um, they were, uh, one of them was a real estate agent. I'm not going to say his name. Um, he's passed since then, but he was a, a, a Gainesville City Commissioner. And he was all excited about this trip to this sister city and when they established it. And so they went over and met the counterpart <coughs> of our sister city their political council or whatever they were called. And lo and behold, what really happened, now this was on the taxpayer's nickel. You understand the taxpayers paid, as they always do, for these commissioners go do these inner city visits. A lot of times, you know, they do it inside the United States. They love to go out, to, uh, the city of Gainesville loves to go out to the liberal cities in Oregon and all those kind of places and up to Madison, Wisconsin, and where they can get some like kind minds to engage. And um, one time they went to Kentucky and uh, found a city there that had a like mind. And um, so I was along on some of those because I was representing the city of Alachua to try to counterweight or peep in or listen to whatever the city of Gainesville was doing. It was always crazy. So um, uh, th this, this inner city visit took place in 1982. It was the first time it took place. And um, 
the commissioner, who was a real estate agent, lo and behold, uh, came back to the United States and started brokering uh, and making uh, lots of money off of uh, uh, the people he had met in Russia, who he encouraged to buy property in Gainesville with him being the commissioner and getting the commissions. And I got to tell you, my friends, that didn't sit well with me. Of course, I was in no way, shape or form or position to be doing anything about it other than I was friends with this person. And I had a broker's license at the time. And um, I, I really, I, I, I just thought this, this person should have recused himself. You know, we send you over on the, on the taxpayer dollar to uh, the city and you come back making lots of money off of that visit financed and started by the city. Now, fortunately, in this case, there are so many stumbling bums on the current Gainesville City Commission. I don't think they have enough sense to do what those guys or that particular guy did back then. I, I look at the poodle and I look at the, the boy named Lauren and, um, you know, banana pudding Harvey Ward and, and uh, the communist uh, uh, lawyer there. Uh, she's, I, I, you know, none of them seems to be in a position where they can do anything but do ideological brain swapping discussions with the Russians. Um, it's really, unless you get the kind of situation that happened in 82, where you begin to profit at the expense of, this, of the taxpayer uh, personally, uh, then I probably won't have much objection to it. After all, as I reported yesterday, we've got the Karl Marx reading room at the University of Florida Smather Library. Let me tell you something about that, my friends. Um, I, 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 I'm going to tell this story, too. Um, I tell it about Dr. Ans Oras, who was an Estonian. Dr. Oras came to the University of Florida because President Kennedy, who had been a senator, who was a friend with Senator Mathers, Smathers, uh, told Senator Smathers, uh, we've got an intellectual in Estonia that's going to be uh, imprisoned by the Russians or killed or whatever. He's one of the leading minds in the world. Uh, we've got to get him out of Estonia. And once we get him here, we've got to get him in, in front of students, our students. Uh, so they did get Dr. Ans Oras out of Estonia. He came to, through Senator Smathers, after whom the Smathers Library is named. He came here to the University of Florida as a distinguished professor of classical literature criticism. And yours truly was personally invited into that class. And I've told you those stories about Dr. Ans Oras and how I, I, I hung on every word he said, which he said were very few, but they were some of the most important words you'd ever hear. Uh, I do know this, that both with the gentleman uh, who, I, who wrote the story that I read, Brandenburg Concerto, he was a Hungarian, and with Dr. Oras, who was an Estonian, all you have to do with those two men, both of whom are dead now, of course, is whisper. You don't even have to say it loudly. Is whisper the word communist. And I, I, I don't know if anything triggers it like that. A total, emotional, complete, violent breakdown, uncontrollable, sometimes tear-filled anguish comes out of those men. I've witnessed it. I've stood by them. I've been, I've just stood stunned by it. 
and and I just overwhelmed by the sadness and the agony that came out of these two men whom I knew personally and was taught by personally, who were some of the greatest literary minds I've been around and who came from some of the greatest societies and cultures, uh, who knew Bach and, 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 you know, just to give you an example, the Brandenburg Concerto. Um, it just overwhelmed me to see them overwhelmed. And now in the Senator Smathers Library is the Karl Marx Reading Room, which has been put up as a safe place where those students of like mind can go to get away from being threatened by the others on campus. I don't know. Maybe I'm just out of it. Maybe it's just, I'm, I'm, you know, it's a different world or something that I, 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 um, I, I, just, don't, I just don't know. I, I don't know how that can happen. But there it is, and I, 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 I report that to you. So this whole thing about a Russian sister city, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I can say, I used to be, there was some swamp land in Florida I could sell you as well. Ward Scott, Professor Ward Scott here in the Mellon Law Studio in the Warthog Command Center, Manly Command Center. We'll be right back after a few breaks here for our good friends who support us. This is Ward Scott. And I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Prime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are On the Spot Dry Cleaners, Okita America Martial Arts, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. If your brains were lard, you couldn't grease a small frying pan. <laughs> to call you stupid would be an insult to stupid people. Octone, octone. The papers are not in order. Step out of the line and report to the inspection station. You're going to search your belongings. Much schnell. At Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Welcome back to Ward Scott Files production has been taking it upon himself, curiously and intelligently. Uh, it's raised his piqued his interest about the Karl Marx reading room. I think we're going to put a, pic a picture of it up here as soon as I get the high sign from him. And uh, I, you know, this, this young man who's our production um, expertise here is far different and removed from the culture, understandably, as am I, that provoke the uncontrollable sobbing, if you will, and grief uh, from uh, 
the two gentlemen who had been decimated by uh, the Russian world in European uh, culture and history. Uh, that's my point, is that, isn't it ironic that in the very library named after the very man who was most influential in saving the life of a giant intellect from Estonia by bringing him here to, and his classroom was in Smathers Library on the fourth floor on the west side that we now have a reading room. Now, I can't ask Dr. Oros and I can't ask Rihanna Solmain what they would think about it. I will predict what, you, what, what they would say about it. You know, on the level that my young production people are engaged with, it's another exercise in learning about history. And I understand that. I think that is, is, uh, is uh, probably the modus operandi behind this because we have other rooms there named after other people. And the position is this was a thinker. So I, I, I understand this. You, you don't censor the thinking. You let the people think and then let them behave according to the thinking. I just wish there were somebody around in the university, and perhaps there is, who survived the corruption, if you want to look at it from that point of view, of Karl Marx's thinking. Now, that's possible, too. And one could argue that's really the case. The thinking is corrupted. God knows the progressive left right now is corrupting busily the thinking of Thomas Jefferson. I mean, how else can you explain it? The whole 1619 project, the whole academic pursuit of reorganizing, rewriting, and re-remembering uh, history and obliterating the Constitution and casting blame on the Jeffersons and, 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 and Hamiltons and these people, uh, that, that is being done as we speak uh, by the progressive left. And it, they don't stop there. They're corrupting science as well with their interpretation of climate and energy. You know, where were they when this original war was being fought? They don't even know anything about it because that has been corrupted. The South, read, I'll take my stand by the 12 Southerners, okay? Read Cousin Lucius. Read remarks on Southern religion. Read reconstructed but unregenerate. Read some of these sayings and you'll see that the Southerners saw the dangers of turning your society into an economic engine that relied on fossil fuel. That, that was antithetical to nature's use. It's called alchemy. It's called going to the environment to find the gold and the silver and the foliage be damned. De Soto, Pizarro. That's what they came here for. And if you want to read about it, study what happened to a Europe economy once these guys carried back boatloads of jewels and silver and gold from the New World and installed it in the European economy. So 
I just wanted to pass that along to you. I'm sure uh, uh, you all can uh, draw your own conclusions. You're adults, and I'm just informing you that one of the members of the research team sent this to me. Now, I think it's most interesting material to put in the classroom discussion and for you to treat it as you will. Anything else we have a subject matter, you make up what you need to make it and you study it. If it piques your interest, I have one friend who wants to go physically see it. Well, I want to switch over to where I started a moment ago with Sarasota County. Now we're getting ready to see a boatload of propaganda come out of the Alachua County Commission and its Minister of Propaganda, one Mark Sexton. Okay, but in Sarasota County, uh, they reaffirmed their support. This is according to the Herald Tribune for electing county commissioners through single member districts. They had a referendum. In 2018, nearly 60% of Sarasota County voters approved single member districts, a system in which county commissioners are elected solely by the citizens of their district. They did this in a county charter referendum. And previously, the commissioners had been chosen through countywide elections as they currently are here. The current county commissioners have said they thought voters didn't understand what they were voting on in 2018. So they decided last year to schedule another referendum, hoping to reverse the earlier decision. But 57% of the voters opposed the charter amendment that commissioners had proposed while 42% voted for it. Um, so the president of the Sarasota Alliance for Fair Elections, which this is an organization that advocated for single member districts, says, I feel so grateful all the people of the county worked together. People of all political parties stood up. We actually defeated what the commissioners were trying to take away from us. Uh, there you go. Uh, this uh, is the flip of what we have going on here. So these commissioners here, these Mary Alfreds who seems to be obsessed with baking and growing plants and all that stuff uh, from her Facebook posts, uh, nice lady, I suppose, but has nothing to do with where the rubber meets the road. Uh, we'll vote like a herd mentality. Of course, Ken Cornell is smart enough to know what he's doing. He's very diabolical. He knowingly does what he's doing. Uh, but I will assure you, like comedian-like, if it were passed, we have single-member districts, he would be out currying political favor as quickly as he could with that system, too. Um, so the, uh, uh, the Sarasota County 2021 Citizen Opinion Survey out asked county residents to rate on a scale of one to five how they feel about the fact that the county changed from county-wide elections to single-member districts the survey found 26% of the respondents disapproved of the change, while 40% approved of it. And uh, the results of Tuesday's referendum means that the county commission elections in the fall, uh, District 2 and 4 will be held using single-member districts methods. Um, the county commissioners there have long opposed uh, single-member districts. They say the system prevents residents from voting for four out of five commissioners. The same stuff you're going to hear here, um, but they've got an organization there that went out to look at the impacts and what the people actually thought. And uh, this is uh, this is the uh, uh, this is the result. So uh, we'll see how it goes here. If you want to research it more? Of course, we'll get into it as we move closer to D Day.
here, which I guarantee you is going to be a bloody battle. Um, One good hopeful sign uh, for those of you who have been listening to our uh, involvement in the election beep is that the Florida House on Wednesday uh, passed a bill that would create a new state office dedicated to investigating election crimes. I did not use the F word there, uh, although this word crime uh, may trigger the algorithm and you may see us go dark here for a couple of days because the little millennials are trying to control the national and local narrative. Uh, This bill passed along the GOP-controlled House party lines. It's going to head to the Republican governor. He's going to sign it. Uh, We think, we can't prove it, that the rise of this bill as it was a result, or at least partly, or we certainly didn't hurt uh, our efforts here locally to discover violations of voting. And um, we found quite a number and we quit before we ran out of fingers and toes because there are many, many, many more. They are called euphemistically irregularities, okay? I don't think I have to beep that word. So this is called the Office of Election Crimes and Security. It will review allegations of beep and conduct preliminary investigations into potential election law violations or irregularities. There's also going to be special officers. So we're not going to have to wait on these state attorneys. This state attorney here has publicly said, we've got the email, that he doesn't prioritize this form of crime very much. He's pushed this down to the bottom of the pile of crap. The other stuff, which he hasn't dealt with very well either, in my humble opinion, and that is the consistently rising crime here in our community. Uh, So he has pushed down what we brought. Uh, We originally brought it to him. Uh, He kicked it over to the sheriff's office. The sheriff's office kicked it over. He thought that the sheriff maybe would let it die. we know that it wasn't really represented all that well to the sheriff. Uh, the sheriff covered, uh, kicked it down to the FDLE. The FDLE, hey, they dragged their feet and take their time. But guess what? They came back and reported to the state attorney that, yes, you've got violations here and do something about it. Well, that hasn't happened, my friends. And we have a Republican, say after me, please, we have a Republican state attorney. So it would appear to us, that since we're involved in this, as the Wart Scott files, that the Republican state attorney is at odds with the Republican governor. Not a healthy situation, at least on this issue. At least on this issue. And that the Republican governor recognizes this, perhaps, and has taken it out of the hands of state attorneys and given it to their own security office, all right? So uh, this is very interesting, and uh, this is, I'm sure, uh, going to be a a kind of a game changer because we have been finding that the fact of the matter is there is plenty of voter beep, But you can't get anybody to say it, investigate it, care about it, push it, call it what it is. And it's mostly for political reasons, as you might imagine. 
So this bill uh, is, uh, of course, being criticized and called voter suppression. You know, it's funny. Uh, the Democrats want to call something like this voter suppression, but they don't want to call refusal to put the single member districts on the ballot for the people to decide about. They don't want to call that voter suppression. Uh, the minister of propaganda actually yelled at me about that. When I said that's a form of voter suppression, he actually yelled at me. I thought I was going to have to put him in a full Nelson. And I told him I could still whip his butt. So he didn't need to be shouting at me like that because we would be out behind the woodshed. Come on, man. How you do it? I went to the bicycle racks at least a couple of times in high school. And um, I'd gladly go back there again. So if that's what it, if that's the way you're going to be treated, well, you can kick it back, kick it back out. So um, this is a, um, a lot of stuff in it. It penalizes ballot harvesting. Uh, it makes it a felony for anyone to deliver more than two ballots in addition to their own ballot or a ballot belonging to immediate family member. Uh, under current law, it's a misdemeanor. Uh, so what's the big slap on the wrist? None of these judges ever force any of this misdemeanor stuff. And uh, they'll, they came out of these liberal colleges. So they'll just say, oh, well, it must be the circumstances. It must be that you, you know, it must be racial that you did this. It's going to take that and change it. Um, it also raises the cap on fines for violations by third party voter registration organizations uh, from 1,000 to 50,000. So we're going to stop this third party voter registration stuff uh, because we know uh, one of the third parties that evidently registered voters that were convicted felons in the Alachua County Jail was none other than T.J. Pichet himself. Uh, the only way we conclude that is that uh, they weren't registered when he went in, but they were registered when he came out. So we don't know yet what FDLE said about that because uh, the state attorney hasn't disclosed it. So that's what it appears to be. So it also, a bill also asks election officials to review uh, the feasibility of requiring voters in uh, future elections to provide the last four digits of a driver's license or a state ID or a social security number on a certificate when mailing in a ballot. Because there's been all sorts of unaccount unaccountable practices with mail-in ballots. Um, so, um, of course, the Democrats say, oh, you're taking away our freedom. You know how you have freedom? You have freedom because you have control. And my simple little analogy to show that is you're driving an automobile, you have a steering wheel in your hand, you have brakes, and you decide you want to stop. Okay, so you put your foot on the pedal, stop the, the, the brake pedal, and the car stops. Why does it stop? It stops because there's structure. There is structure. If that structure failed, the automobile would not obey the will of the driver. How do you turn left? How do you turn right? The wheel, if it comes off in your hand, the structure of the steering mechanism has failed. And you no longer are free. Do you understand what I'm trying to teach you? You're no longer free to turn left or right because the structure failed. Freedom is contingent upon structure. It ain't what Janis Joplin says. Freedom means there's nothing left to lose. I really liked her version of that. 
But I'm going to tell you something. Freedom results from structure. Because freedom means you have choice. And choice means you have options. And if those options need to be, that's really what freedom is about. <clears throat> You're not taking away a freedom when you exercise these kinds of structures or put in place these structures. You're freeing people to have their vote actually mean what it's supposed to mean. Not be diffused or watered down or expanded or any of that sort of business. But you'll hear, and I would like to see the education of some of these people. I don't want to get into it. I know what they don't know. Uh, so, um, you know, there you go. Um, that it is, it is what it is. And you'll hear all the hue and cry uh, from the liberals and all the shaky, shaky stuff. And, uh, you know, just get ready to batten down the hatches, huh? Um, I got to um, um, talk about something here that uh, um, um, probably the, uh, let me just look at my, my I got so much here that, um, well, lecture integrity, let me just, here's a poll I'll cite for you, election integrity is one of the top concerns coming into the congressional midterms. Uh, the Rasmutins did a report and found that 89% uh, uh, of Republicans say it's important, uh, with 62% calling it very important. Democrats, 78% call it important, including 52% said it was very important. And 84% of the independent voters felt it was important, with 60 feeling it's very important. So, you know, it seems to me that what Rasmussen has, uh, has found is similar to what DeSantis' bill is doing. Um, we want voter identification. Support for that is very high. 74% uh, of likely voters said voter ID should be required. Uh, of course, 90% of the Republicans say that. 59% of the Democrats only, so almost 60%. Um, but... Um, they call, of course, voter ID requirements racist. I, I'm so sick of the race card. You know, I mean, I'm, it just absolutely is disgustingly out of whack. It, it doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help anything. Uh, name calling is, uh, you know, it, it, you know it, they object to it. So they do it to somebody else because they object to it doing to them. Very childish, very immature. We need to get way past that, way past that. Um, uh, but the majorities, uh, the truth of the matter, according to Rasmussen's report, is that the majorities of every racial group, 76% uh, of whites, 60% of blacks, and 78% of other voters agree that requiring a voter ID is a reasonable, reasonable measure. I like that word, reasonable. Um, it's a reasonable measure. Um, you know, I got I got to throw this in because we've got our own example of this with uh, our Corrine Brown. Okay, um, if we had it queued up, we'd play the song. I don't know if production can get to that too quickly, but uh, he's looking. He's he's thinking. Uh, we may pay, play our good friend Jonathan's version of Corrine Brown if I get the high high, high sign from. We do have it. When I get the high sign, we'll play it. Uh, Okay. 
brown She had the biggest mouth around She thought she was the smartest rep in heels Well, she started up a non-profit And somehow made money off it And got involved in quite some dirty deals She's in the jailhouse now She's in the jailhouse now That's not the way a charity runs She won't be having fun She's in the jailhouse now I let you Don't put me in the slammer I only did what all the others do I thought my donors were trickable But the judge said that's despicable And then away the key he threw She's in the jailhouse now She's in the jailhouse now They locked the cell on poor Corinne This one she'll never win She's in the jailhouse now I let you had to play that just to have a little fun that was done by our good friend jonathan years ago when i was on the radio and nothing's changed with corrine brown she stole from the little chillin uh, people gave to the charity of, uh, and they thought by giving to the charity that money would go out to the little chillin and actually it went to uh corrine brown well the reason i played that is about this very same sort of situation with a person named monica cannon grant do you know who monica can monica cannon grant is She's the founder and CEO of the charity group, charity group, hear, you, hear, hear the similarity, charity group, Violence in Boston. She rose to prominence in the Boston Black Lives Matter community after George Floyd's murder, murder, murder uh, in May 2020. So she's a power broker. She's a Democrat, of course. Uh, she hangs out with Ayanna Presley and all the other libs. And guess what? Guess what? She's accused, um, along with the husband, um, of fraudulently claiming uh, money that was in the bank account um, and taking it um, as their own uh, for money that should have gone to the charity. Um, money, money, money. Can you really can you really find it difficult to believe uh, federal prosecutors are investigating? Whether any of the donations provided to Cannon Grant's charity were used to pay for her personal expenses, um, at least one prominent donor to the charity, the uh, Suffolk uh, County District Attorney's Office, uh, was subpoenaed by a federal grand jury for records related to a $6,000 grant it provided to the group. Um, 
you know, she's a member of this uh, Presley, who is uh, one of her buddies, is a member of the so-called squad of liberal Democratic Congresswomen. Um, all this is uh, done under the guise of Black Lives Matter and gun violence and all this business. Um, this is uh, uh, now uh, the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation, which is the charity that serves as the face of the national Black Lives Matters movement, voluntarily shut down its ability to raise funds in early February when they started being investigated. And they found that the group since May had no known leader in charge of the tens of millions of dollars it raised in 2020. Hello, hello, hello. Um, so um, there you are. Um, the um, been a failure to report adequately finances and where the money is gone and uh, you know what the fundraising is all about and whether or not there have been any uh, uh, accounting gimmicks. Hello, hello. That story we've heard before. And yet, guess what, my friends? Corrine Brown's name is still on the regional transit system building. Uh, how the boy named Lauren and the poodle and uh, uh, banana pudding and the communist uh, commissioner um, and the boy who can't remember where he slept last night, uh, that crowd, they can't bring themselves in spite of a, which I know about, a unanimous recommendation from the Regional Transit System Advisory Group Committee to the Gainesville City Commission, a unanimous recommendation of that the done months ago that the name Corrine Brown be removed from the Regional Transit System building. Oh, boy, boy, boy. Only in this neck of the woods. You know, the population of Gainesville's commission was developed when that 1947, when that UFO landed by the Lake of the Stupids and dropped out the genetic material. Have a great day. We're all command center out.